interested in uh, learning more about Carpenter's Way, if you're interested in membership, Carpenter's Way 101 is going on in the library right now. You can go ahead and start making your way back there. For everybody else, find somebody and tell them good morning.
of you go to the uh, Angelina Air Show yesterday? Were we the only ones? There's several of you we saw. That was so fun. If you've never been, this is like the third time they've done it. It is such a good show. The sun will turn your skin to leather, but you're Texans. <laughs> you just got to deal with that stuff. But man, what a, what a great day we had. And what a beautiful morning. I drove in here and the sun was coming up over the chicken plant. There's nothing prettier than that. <laughs> it's just a beautiful... It's just a beautiful day. I'm glad you're here this morning. If you're watching on the internet, we're glad that you're uh, joining us today. Um, before I get into any of the announcements, as Chad has already said, what we, uh, how you become a member of Carpenter's Way is quarterly, four times a year, we do what's called a uh, Carpenter's Way 101 or a new members class. It takes place in the library, and we, uh, we take the whole morning from about 9.30 to 11.45-ish. Uh, we go through the Constitution, bylaws of the church, how we function, uh, what's our leadership structure, what, people, what we vote on, different things like that. That's the first hour. And the second, uh, and then the 11 o'clock hour, Jeff Bonin, uh, the executive pastor of Carpenter's Way, and myself, we go over the doctrine of the church, just kind of what we believe and why, uh, and it gives you a chance to interact with all the leadership of the church. Um, we always say that if you go to that class, you don't have to become a member, but it's a great place to learn things and to meet people. Uh, in the leadership. So if you're interested in that, nobody's going to stare at you. People are still coming in. You can just kind of escape right now and head into the library. We'd love to have you in there and give, us, give you a chance to get your questions answered. But we're glad you're here and, and uh, there'll be another one towards Christmas and we'll be glad to go through it with you then. But the reason we do them so infrequently is because we want you to get to know us before you decide to join our family. Because uh, Churches in the South especially are famous for having 50,000 people as members of their church and only 300 attending. And so we're trying to keep those numbers pretty close. We, uh, we have about, I think we just finished a new um, data thing that we were working on. We have about 900 people that come to Carpenter's Way. And, and uh, we, we, we thought six months ago we had 3,000. So we're keeping it, we're trying to keep the records accurate. So 
that's why we do that. But if you want to go, you can head in there now. There's actually breakfast. That doesn't mean you should all go. And by the way, on that note, happy coffee day. Happy coffee day. It is National Coffee Day, and we are glad to serve mediocre coffee at Carpenter's Way. That's about what, you know, that's about what we serve. We're glad you can have as much as you want, and we're glad you can have that. Okay, let's get into our, our thing we need to do. I have some announcements for you. Uh, you noticed as you came in that there's a table in the welcome area to help you register to vote. Carpenter's Way is not a Democratic church. It's not a Libertarian church. It's not a, it's, it's not a Republican church. It's a body of Christ, who ha and all of us have dual membership. We have membership in the family of God, and we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and we're also citizens here on earth, and our job uh, as citizens here is to help this place, um, uh, help bless this country. And how we do that is putting people in office that reflect the values of our Father. And uh, so we, uh, it is a blessing to have Sharon Kennedy who can register you to vote. And she does that before each year for a couple Sundays. This is, uh, this is the second Sunday uh, you can do that. Or if you have questions, she can answer those. So that will be between service uh, and Bible study. You can talk to her about that in the lobby. Um, and uh, the only other thing I really want to mention before we have the Alversons come up, why don't you guys come on up, is uh, we're trying to update. I had just mentioned that our database is, um, we, uh, we're updating it. So we want to make sure we have your proper cell phone and information and email and all that. Um, this new database program that you purchased, <laughs> thank you very much, um, this new database program that you just, you just bought allows us to send out a mass cell message if there's an emergency or something going on, or we have to cancel, or a mass email, uh, or a mass text service. So we want to make sure these numbers, if you want to get information from the church, if you do not, if, if you don't want your number, uh, I don't know, if you have a concern with your, with your cell number, you can write a note, or you can come call the office. De uh, Dolores Smith, uh, you can talk to her. She's our receptionist, and she'll work with you if you have any concerns about this information. Okay, that's all the business I want to deal with right now. Um, we have... Uh, um, we are privileged as a church. We are very mission-minded. Know, I know we have some visitors this morning. Carpenter's Way spends a significant amount of our budget on international and local mission work. Uh, the goal is to sp spread the gospel. Not only that, but we try to find where the Lord would have us work, and we try to send small groups out there to that. We have teams that went this summer to um, Guatemala. We had a team that went to Brazil. Uh, we, our Brazil trip for next summer is already full. Pretty remarkable. Uh, and Guatemala will be having are taking registrations if you're interested in going there. But we had a team also this summer, a small team, go to Brownsville, Texas, to investigate how we can minister to people who just come across the border and how we can help. And we sent the Alversons along with Neela Longino down there to investigate what this ministry does. There is a church down there that has split. I don't need to tell them. That's what you're going to tell them, right? Why don't you guys come on up and take over and share. This is an update on what they learned because mission work isn't, isn't the work of the leadership of the church. It's our work. So uh, why don't you guys take it? Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Neela could not be here. Grandchildren called. And as grandparents, we all know that, you know, that does take priority. Um, when we were in Brownsville, we were connected with Iglesia Bautista West Brownsville and they felt the need to provide migrant respite. Um, I'm going to just give you some facts and figures first, and then I'll share my heart. Um, Friday was day 127. They minister Monday through Friday. Um, so far, they have served 3,662 people and 2,215 souls for Christ. Wow. 
we personally saw about 100 migrants through the week. They had all been vetted to travel to the United States, and uh, they're here awaiting their court dates, and all of them were asylum seekers. So um, who we saw were people who had either been in a tent city for a while, or a and that would be on the Matamoras side, or a detention facility on the U.S. side. And, and as I continue to talk, you'll realize how complicated it is, because we're not sure if all of the people we saw had been in detention on the U.S. side. Um, they have sponsors who are usually family members um, who will provide transportation, a bus ticket to go. Most of these were going to Tampa, Florida for some reason. And uh, those sponsors are supposed to help them uh, show up at their court dates. They have three opportunities to claim asylum. Most of the migrants who we saw were from Chiapas, Mexico. It's the southernmost state. It borders Guatemala, and it's the poorest state. Um, most of them were farmers. They were looking for a better life for their families. And so that's why um, they were coming. And um, most of them, sadly, will not qualify because they don't meet the criteria for asylum. Those from the detention center on the U.S. side in Brownsville were from Nicaragua, Honduras, Cuba, El Salvador, Puerto Rico. Um, now, most of them had a valid asylum claim. Um, one man in particular from Nicaragua saw the orange World Vision hygiene kit. Uh, we helped with the showering outside, and Clay handed it to him, and his face lit up, and he said, I worked with World Vision for five years. Um, he was asked to switch loyalties with the old regime and use his influence because he was well-traveled and well-connected, and he refused, um, they were going to kill him. So he fled and he left his family in hiding, and his process has taken five months. Um, so you can see the delays in uh, getting people processed because there are so many. So two thoughts keep coming back to me um, to describe the overall situation there. It's so very complicated, and it's not political. And that's where we come in as the body of Christ. It's a humanitarian crisis. Uh, so we had to put all of that aside and just view it through the eyes of Jesus. The families would come off the bus, um, either from, uh, well, most of them from the detention center. Um, they were scared. They were defeated. They were downcast. They wouldn't make eye contact. Um, they didn't speak the language. We didn't speak Spanish. The ones from Chiapas had their own dialect, so even the Spanish speakers had Did trouble you know communicating with the migrants from Chiapas. Um, but once they got a shower and clean clothes, a meal, snacks for the travel ahead, a Bible, lots of love, encouragement, and prayer, their whole demeanor changed. Suddenly there was hope. One particular volunteer who touched me was Evelyn. I called her Evelyn the Evangelist. I have never really been a fan of hit-and-run gospel presentations, but the volunteers in the ministry knew they only had between one and four hours with the migrants, so they knew their desperation. 
The time was used clearly and gently to reveal the good news and ask them if they would accept. I can't put into words what it's like to pass by a circle with Evelyn at a table praying in Spanish and get to stand quietly beside them praying for their salvation day after day after day. Neela got to see a firsthand miracle. Um, there was a family who their sponsors had sent money, but it wasn't enough for the whole family, and they were devastated because they didn't know what they would do. And within 10 minutes, that money was found, and they were able to get their tickets to go to their sponsors. She also got to witness a single mom's salvation um, and be a part of God's celebration in that. Um, we met the woman behind the ministry. Her name's Gabby, and she was with a, an organization called Team Brownsville. And when the pastor and his group were ministering to the migrants, she challenged them. And she was not a believer. She was not a part of a church. And uh, she said, you need, to, you need to do something about this. Well, he invited her to become a part of their church, and then she became a believer, and now she's entrusted with this respite ministry, and she is the brains behind it. So um, that was really cool to hear her story. Um, our beautiful church, Carpenter's Way, sent cases of 450 Bibles, and Pastor Navarro prayed over those Bibles before they were ever put into the storeroom to be used for the migrants. Um, we also were able to take over 100 backpacks, and those will go with the families to carry their things as they travel on the bus to their final destination. I saw some pictures on their Facebook page this week, and some of them had the backpacks on, so that was pretty exciting. Um, we also had a large financial donation, and with that, um, we were able to purchase rolling shelves. They, they clothe every family that comes in. So you have every size from infant to adult men and women. And so they were having to pack that up every single Saturday because they have church in there on Sunday. So the whole respite center comes down on Saturday. Well, with these rolling shelves now, instead of tubs and crates and things being packed up, they just roll the shelves into the closet. And they were so grateful for that. Um, Neela and I mostly worked in the showers, um, which were uh, tarps on a concrete patio outside hooked up to a water hose that came around and then there were four stalls made out of plywood um, but we had everything they needed we had soap and conditioner and fresh towels we washed the towels every night so everybody had a clean towel to use um, and I just saw a picture yesterday with the financial donations They've been able to enclose those shower with some kind of a plastic material, and they have real doors on them now. So instead of sliding over those bags of rocks <laughs> to keep the, the tarps closed, um, they have real doors, so that's, that's really cool. And they also were able to purchase a small refrigerator. They provide a meal of comfort food, beans, tortillas, um, what else? potatoes, anything that they can cook in an, uh, an electric skillet because they don't have a kitchen at this church. <laughs> so they are, and at times they had hundreds of migrants a day. Um, so they would get out their electric skillets and they'd cook up a comfort meal for them and they were so grateful and they drank their coffee, little bitty tiny cups with two creams and two sugars, even the kids. <laughs> so um, 
anyway, um, we were able to buy them, or they were able to buy a small refrigerator. They have one, but then they bought a smaller one to put cold drinks in so that when the migrants come in, they have cold Gatorade, cold water, things to drink, and they were having to keep all that in an ice chest. Um, this is not a huge church, and every bit of this respite is run by volunteers. Um, we did find that it's a small ministry as far as numbers of people. You know, it, it, there, there, we'd be stepping over each other if there were more than three or four of us. But um, we, we feel very blessed to have gotten to go. The need changes daily, as you know. If you watch the news, just rules change, laws change, different things change. So they never know what they're going to get. So you have to be a really flexible person <laughs> to go because you just go with the flow. You wait for the Holy Spirit to lead, and, and you do whatever is needed for that day. We loved the church. We loved their ministry. We want to continue to pray for them and partner with them. And we'd love for you, if you feel called, to go with us sometime to um, minister to those beautiful people. Did I say everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that pretty well covered it all. Uh, that's all right. Uh, this is a very complex situation. Uh, there is a humanitarian crisis on our side of the border and on, on the other side of the border as well. There are uh, people were being brought in. They would make a claim of asylum, legitimate or not, be brought in, put in detention here for a short period of time up to over a year. And those conditions are, we didn't get to go in and see, we didn't get to go inside and see any of those, but, and the migrants didn't talk about it. They would tell you that it was difficult, and that's it, um, because they're not, af they're afraid of what may happen to them as a result of what they say, uh, based on where they've come from. But uh, it's a difficult situation on our side of the border. On the other side of the border, people are, are, well, I don't know what it, what it is today, but while we were there, the laws changed, and you you came to the border, made your claim of asylum, and then you had to go back. And so there are huge homeless tent cities uh, at the end of the bridge in Matamoros, uh, the bridge that connects the U.S. and, and uh, Mexico. And these people have no food, no shelter, it's it's very very difficult. We did not go over. We did not cross the border because we didn't feel like it was safe. Um, if you go over there with food, you get mobbed uh, because people are that desperate. So um, Iglesia Bautista is. They have churches on the other side that are feeding and trying to help the the homeless people. They they have nowhere to go, and you can see it from the U.S. side. They're down in the river, down in the Rio Grande, bathing. And so we're, we're going to be sensitive to what, what those needs are and how we might be able to help. Um, you know, the, the bottom line with all the, the political talk there is today of why this is happening or how it, how it could be fixed, for us as believers in Jesus, um, these people are looking for hope. Whether, whether their claim is legitimate or whether it is illegitimate, they're looking for hope. And I had the opportunity to <laughs> stand in my front yard and visit with a young Jehovah's Witness guy yesterday that wanted to talk to me about um, about hope. And uh, so after a lengthy period of time, 
We discussed the Trinity that they don't believe in, and we discussed salvation through Christ alone, which they believe works is attached. And he he seemed to get kind of, kind of anxious, and uh, so as he be, began the conversation, he was trying to end the conversation quickly and say, "I need to go talk to other people about hope." And I told him before he left, I said, "Well, you know, that's great, but what you need to do is give him Jesus." He's, I said, "There is only hope found in Jesus, nothing else." And that's what we're doing for these people seeking asylum. Legitimate or not, we're, we're offering hope in Jesus. And Iglesia Bautista is doing a great job. Our money is, is well spent there. Uh, they are, uh, these people are amazing. And Evelyn, my goodness, Evelyn the evangelist is, uh, is just awesome to watch. She, she is just pouring love out on the, on the migrants. So we're going to continue to stay in contact with them, see what we can do, and uh, try to make another trip down there. If you, if you have other questions, be, feel free to stop us and ask us about it. Uh, there's a lot, a lot more details that we could share, but then Mark would have to cut, cut his message short. We know that's not going to happen. So. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for sending us. One of the reasons why Jesus talks so much about the Samaritans is because it was a politically incorrect thing to do for a Jewish person to minister to a Samaritan or be touched by a Samaritan. And I understand, you know, as, as we look at our country, and it, it is a political chaotic, it's a mess. Just so you know, we're not a mess. They're a mess. And it's overflowing a mess into our culture, okay? Keep, keep things straight. If you have Fox News or CNN on your house all day, it feels like your house is chaotic. It's not. You, you're still eating and your kids are still playing outside. Don't, don't, don't be fooled by the noise. Uh, but especially here in the body of Christ, Satan, Scripture says that Satan is the author of chaos. And God is the author, uh, he is the God of, of order. And the body of Christ offers order in the midst of chaos. It's what we do. And... Uh, Wherever you stand on this issue, because we have had people ask questions, when the Lord brings people to us, it's not our question to, we're never supposed to ask whether they're worthy of ministry. The question is, why aren't we ministering? And we are right now actively involved with, with the Alversons now and the Longinos and, at, with this church, and also you have given financially to a, a Brazilian church that's getting thousands and thousands of Venezuelan migrants we're helping with them. So you're actively involved in doing way more than voting. And uh, I don't think the answer is to tear the wall down. Now you know I'm conservative. But I d also don't think it's, it's godly to ignore the people on either side of that wall. We, we are called to minister to Samaritans. And, and, and the truth is, when in, in these stories and what they said today and what we've heard from our Brazilian family, um, there's doctors and dentists and lawyers that are desperate. I mean, these aren't just, you know, whatever. I mean, this is, this is the real deal. And in the midst of feeding, we get to tell them about Jesus, man. A <laughs> hundred years from now, how politically we stood is not going to matter. All that's going to matter is whether or not they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if we spend the rest of our lives in a chaotic country, but we get the opportunity to tell people about Jesus no matter where they come from, what a, way, what a use of our lives, because this is almost over. So, look, 
you have two things going on today. Number one, you get the opportunity to vote. And if you're conservative and you want a wall built, you get to vote for that. We get to vote for that. But once you vote and you get out of that ballot box, you better look for anybody and everybody you can tell Jesus to. That's our task. That's, our, that's what the message is actually about this morning. I will get there. Um, but but it, it's our task. It's what we do. And um, Satan wants us to be more obsessed with our American citizenship than we are with the kingdom of heaven. Be careful. I'm just warning you. You know, when we marry God, guns, and the Bible, we are not teaching Jesus. Have your guns. Use them on animals. Um, <laughs> worship God. But country music and whiskey has nothing to do with your walk with God. I just, you know, I'm, I, I just want to make you aware of that. You know, beer, guns, God, and, and whatever else. It has nothing to do with it. This is not America. This is an embassy. I wish, I wish I had been here when you were debating the name of the church before I came. I would have wrestled for the embassy. That's what this is. This is an embassy. This is where people of every stripe, color, socioeconomic status, no matter how hurt they are, they can come into this place and they get to see the family of God ministering to each other. That's what this is. That's what we do on Sunday. And our prayer for you this morning, if you're visiting, is if you don't know Jesus, that you will smell him here. If you don't, I wouldn't come back. If the people of this church, if the message doesn't reflect the scriptures, you should never come back to this church. You shouldn't go to any church that doesn't point you to Jesus. You shouldn't. Because there's a lot of stuff we're doing right now and not pointing people to Jesus. But I'll tell you something. The elders of this church, we always ask, how does this draw people to Jesus? That's our point. So we spend a lot of money and time on that stuff. We're not a rich church, but we are focused on Jesus. So thank you for putting up with that. If you do have questions, I know Clay is uh, more than willing to answer. He's a pastor in our church, more than willing to answer. Robert Grimes is the missions pastor of our church. I would be glad to sit down with you and discuss the things. I am conservative politically, but my heart is, is for people. So my politics ends with the voting booth. Um, so having said that, we're going to take an offering. <laughs> I'm going to ask the elders or the ushers to come forward at this time, and, and we'll take our offering now. And we're going to take our focus off of everything else and put it back on Jesus. We're going to have a great time in the Word, and I'm going to speak like a Yankee really fast today. And uh, I think you're going to find that, that what just happened, what you just heard, connects very beautifully with the text we're going to be in this morning. So let's commit our time to the Lord. Lord Jesus, I know the people of this church love you. Um, Satan wants us as lovers of Jesus to be uh, unsettled with our politics. And there are people in this church that are mad as hornets at our president, and there are people that are mad as hornets as, at, the, at the Democrats running the house. And none of those things have any impact on the fact that the sun came up this morning, it'll go down, and we get to love on our children and our grandkids, and we're going to have lunch, and we're going to study the Word together. The truth is, when we turn that off, all of a sudden real life hits. Now, we need to be involved. But we do not need to let Washington, D.C. and the rhetoric on our televisions determine our joy. Our joy comes from the King of Kings. Our hope is found in the promises he's made to us. Our hope is not in this life, but the next. Our message is not fixing this country, but it is, it is pointing people to the country that never needs fixing, where you reign. We need to invite people, and so help us be a people of the gospel. Help me to be a pastor obsessed with the gospel. And Lord, as we give, we will be careful to use every penny given to point and grow people up in the things of the kingdom. We do love you and we're thankful we get to do this together. Surely there's lots of feelings and emotions and politics in this room. And for the next hour, I pray you'd push those out. In Jesus' name we pray.
as the offering plate passes, if you guys want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. From heaven's throne, you came to us and set your heart upon the cross. We'll never know the sacrifice you made. For all our sin and all our shame, you took the nails, you took our place, and no one else could do what you have done. One name is higher, one name is stronger than it.
Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Who is like our God? He spoke and there was life. And saw how it should be. Who is like our God? He sent his son to die to set the captive free. We will exalt you, our God the King. Over all the earth, we will see. Being through with our worship to you. By the praise that you'll do, we'll be enthroned. Let our worship reach you like the sin of perfume. Lifting you, you be Our worship to you 
by the praise that you're doing. Oh,
God, we thank you so much that we can stand here, whether we're on the mountaintop this morning with our hands raised in victory, or if we're in the valley with uh, tears streaming, because of who you are, because of what you have done, we can say it as well. God, I ask, Lord, as we go through the rest of this day, as we open up your word, and especially as we go through the rest of this week, we ask, Lord, that you would remind us, that you would remind us of this truth, Lord, that it is well. It is well, God. We thank you and we praise you. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If it is not well with your soul, meet Jesus. I know most of you are aware uh, that one of our own, uh, Sandy Bates, went to be with Jesus this week. And um, Janet is hurting. But it is well with her soul because she knows where her husband is. And some of you are sick and not well. And you don't know what the other side looks like. You don't know. the, The doctors are hopeful, but you just don't know. And some of you are struggling with money, and some of you are doing great. But if you know Jesus, you put your hope in him, it is well with your soul. It is well with your soul. Uh, We are, uh, well, let me just get into the text. Matthew 9, after Jesus left the little girl's home, and that's, that's where we stopped last week, Jesus raises this little girl from the dead. So after Jesus left the little girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying, and Jesus asked them, Do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes, and he said, Because of your faith in me, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened, and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them, Don't tell anybody about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. And the crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, he can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. That old goody didn't work the first time, and it won't work this time either. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So this is where we find ourselves this morning in our search to discover the Jesus of the Bible. For those of you who are visiting or watching on the internet, as opposed to the Jesus of a Baptist church or or the social gospel Jesus or the charismatic Jesus or a black Jesus or a brown Jesus or a white Jesus, we have, it seems like every organization and group, even if they don't believe in God, has co-opted Jesus for their own use. And so even being a part of a church that is guilty of doing that in time, it is incumbent upon us as the children of God to discover the Jesus from the Bible. And so we are in the 31st week of doing that together. We are almost 25% of the way through. That joke never works, but I keep trying. Actually, in Jesus' three-and-a-half-year ministry, we are now past the two-year mark, and soon Jesus will begin telling his disciples that he won't be with them forever. In fact, he's going to tell them why he won't be with them forever, and he's going to tell them that he will be arrested and killed and raised on the third day, and they won't get it, but they will begin soon in our study making their way to Jerusalem. But for now, although he had commissioned these 12 for ministry right after the Sermon on the Mount, they had yet to be sent out. They had done things here and there, but they are still following him, doing kind of what we're doing. They're watching. 
They're taking it all in, listening, looking, knocking, seeking, asking questions, just taking in all that they see, hear, smell, and taste. I want to make it clear that no matter how we begin to feel about Jesus, he's not just a picture in a painting. Jesus isn't just somebody that we argue our points with. He's not a doctrinal white paper. He's not a religious pushback. He's not even a moral statement. He's God. And he came in the flesh to seek out and offer forgiveness for the lost so that Ephesians 1.5 could take place. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. What did he want to do? Adopt us. This, this wasn't about starting a religion or a movement. This was about people finding hope and peace with God, being adopted into his family. God's unchanging plan was to make people his kids, his literal adopted kids. That was his real plan. His real plan was not to keep you from hell. His real plan was not to make you moral. His real plan was to make you his. You are wanted by God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're saved or not saved this morning, if you're rich or poor, if you're moral or immoral, if you've been married one time or 30 times, if you're single, if you're illegal, if you're legal, it doesn't matter what the church even thinks of you. I want to declare this morning that God wants you. He wants you in his life. He wants you in his family. That's why he sent Jesus. The reason Jesus died on the cross is to take the punishment for your sin, for my sin, so that we could be adoptable. Jesus is, is that, I, I, I've heard different numbers, but I've heard from some that adopting a child could cost somewhere between thirty dollars and $50,000, which is a ridiculous amount of money when you realize there's kids being aborted every day, but I'm not going to get off on that. But it costs a parent between thirty dollars and $50,000 in legal fees in order to properly adopt a child from here or other countries. That's what I've heard. And, and in all of that, I want to be clear that for God to adopt us, a price had to be paid, and the price that had to be paid was our sin debt. Our sin has to be paid for. Either we'll do it or somebody else must. And the only one that could do it was Jesus. So God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That's what he did. When <clears throat> I, want, I want you to listen for a second. While you might have wonderful conversations with your spouse's family about the person you married, if you really, really want to know your spouse, you're going to have to move in with them. That's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. Every one of these boys had grown up in Hebrew school. Every one of these boys at a young age, learned the language of Hebrew so they could read the Old Testament scriptures so they could know about the Messiah. But it was only by walking, watching, asking questions, wrestling with him, freaking out at times. Who is this man? Asking the questions that they actually came to terms or began to come to terms with him. That's what Jesus wants for you too. This is what kills me in the church today. Even in evangelical churches that claim to preach the Bible, what we're preaching is morality or family values or lots of things that might be important, but we removed your, um, the amazement of who Jesus is. We're no longer amazed at him because he's a verse here and there. Jesus said this, and that's all we know of him. We don't just watch him work, and that's what he wants. That's why you've got to be in the Word. You know, we just, uh, some of us have been reading through the Bible this last year, and 
it, it is true, and I've, I've, I've told you before, it is true that the Old Testament can get grueling, especially the minor prophets. I mean, these are some weird words. The nation of Israel was supposed to be God's covenant people, and he had said, as long as you obey me and keep the covenant you're agreeing to, the Ten Commandments and others, uh, and the things that made up the Ten Commandments, as long as you do this, I will bless you. You'll never be hungry. You'll never be sick. You, the, the, no nation in the world will ever defeat you in battle. All these wonderful things that everybody wishes they could have. But the nation kept sinning, and so God sent covenant enforcers out. We call them prophets to say, come back, come back. But the nation of Israel never, ever bowed the knee. As you read it, especially First and Second Chronicles and, and Ezekiel, it's like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Again? There's, there's chapter after chapter of, <clears throat> excuse me, this king uh, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and served for 20 years. And the next king, his son, served for 40 years and didn't do what was right in the Lord's eyes. And you're just, it just gets old. And then you get to the New Testament, and it's like, now I get that. How refreshing is Jesus? He's like a glass of cold water in a hot desert. How refreshing is Jesus who, who allows us to be right with himself outside of the law? We can be made right with God, Romans 3 says, outside of keeping the law by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we're made right. What a gift, you guys. What a gift. Because we can't even keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, you're awful quiet. You're staring at me. You're making me nervous. This is so amazing. God wants us to, to walk with him. And, and in church upbringing, that means read our Bible every day, pray, for, and then go on with our life. Jesus wants us to walk every minute of every day, constantly praying, never ceasing. And some of us in this room are beginning to find out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm proud of you. I'm walking with you. I'm learning it too. Time for the next lesson. Let's pray. God, help us hear from you. Amen. As we follow Jesus around, Matthew 9.35, which starts today's text, tells us what they were seeing. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing, or the word could have been translated, preaching the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Uh, this verse is actually echoed almost word for word in a couple other places in Matthew because it's, it, it, you might hear it in theological circles referred to as the threefold ministry of Jesus. Or these are the three things during the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry he did. The first thing that he did mentioned here is he taught. That means uh, teaching is different than preaching because preaching is what I'm doing right now. It's one-way communication often. But, but, but teaching is interaction. It's talking with people. It's what he did when he saw a, a, a wheat field and he said, look, the wheat is white into harvest. Uh, ask the father to send harvesters. Or when they, would, when they would see a Samaritan and he would talk about the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. It, it, teaching is interaction. It's, it's answering and asking questions. He Secondly, he preached the good news about the kingdom, it says. That's when he stood in front of groups and he, he talks about how people can be forgiven for having broken God's laws, that they can be saved, no matter who they are or what they've done. Jesus would say, I am the way. Uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding, and I think we in the church allow it to continue, but there's a lot of misunderstanding about Jesus Christ. People ask, and the way we often present the gospel, it's a, it's a fair question. Why would a loving God, you tell me that Jesus loves me, why would a loving God send people to hell? And mostly it's because we don't help them understand that a loving God doesn't send people to hell. It is your sin that is sending you to hell. 
I want to take you again to Romans 6.23, a very popular verse, but it says that the wages or payment of sin is death. It's not Jesus' anger is, the way, is what sends you to hell. That's not what it is. It's, it's our nature. By our very nature, Psalms and, and Romans tells us that we are under God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 actually says that we were born as enemies of God under his wrath. We're already born burned. We're in trouble at the moment of conception. We are born in... Can you leave that up there for me, please? Because the second half is super important. The wages of our sin nature is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is really important. When people say, how can a loving God send people to hell? The answer is he doesn't. Oh, you don't believe in hell? I do. But everybody's going to hell because of our sin nature. A loving God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come so that we can have the gift of life. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus preached the good news. The good news is that the wages of sin is death, but what I'm offering, I am the way, the truth, and life, I'm offering you life. That's not just good news, that's great news. And that, those two words, good news, in Greek, is the word gospel. But making spiritual statements was common. At the time of Jesus, some say that there were hundreds, if not thousands, of men who claimed to be the Messiah. So to be worthy of being heard, Jesus needed some validation that would actually prove his claims, that said, you need to listen to this guy. So as he traveled, and he taught, and he preached, he also did miracles. Not just any miracle, but miracles that people could compare to the Old Testament scriptures, and the prophets specifically, Isaiah. It tells us in Isaiah that he would help the blind to see, that the lame would walk, that the dead would rise, and so the miracles he did absolutely matched with the Old Testament prophecies. Not only was he a supernatural healer, but his healing matched their Hebrew upbringing. Remember, he, they're still ministering to the Jews. These are people who studied the Old Testament. These are people who should have looked at Jesus and gone, wow, he claims to be the Messiah, and everything he does mimics what the prophets said what he would do. They're not random miracles, as people often infer. He does have compassion on people, and at times he heals many, and at times he picks one out of the crowd. But they all match the prophecies. And the reason is, it was a validation, a twofold validation. It wasn't just that he could do magical things that validated his message, but he did magical things that mimicked what the Scriptures said the Messiah would do. It's really important. There is a book that just came out last year by Andy Stanley, and he's whacked. He says that the New Testament church didn't have the scriptures and we're sticking too closely and it's alienating people. He's whacked. The New Testament people studied, especially the Jews, they obsessed over the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, if they were Jewish, as I've said before, and it's really an important thing contextually you understand, every Jewish boy grew up learning the Hebrew language so they could read the Hebrew text, specifically the Torah and the minor and major prophets in their own language. So this idea that the, that the scriptures weren't available to them is just simply ignorance or deceit. I'll let you decide which. But Satan wants to move us away from the scriptures. But these miracles that Jesus did connected him to the prophecies that told of the coming Messiah. It connected him to the scriptures. God never has you randomly deciding whether or not something is a real experience or not. He has you going back. 
The Word of God, the Bible, is our plumb line. We hold on to that dearly. While you're living your life out here going, what should I do? And you're not sure, you go back to Scripture. And Scripture doesn't always give you a direct answer for the direct issue you're dealing with, but it can sure tell you what people in the past have done and been honored by the Lord. Know the Scriptures. Follow Him around. What do you do when you follow Him around in the Gospels? You learn the heart of Christ. What's His point? The disciples needed to see for themselves in real life. They needed to see God at work right in front of them. They had read the Scriptures, and we learned already what they saw. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the gospel about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, now watch, okay? So they're following him, right? And, and, and they're just like us, these disciples. Maybe even a little harder than us. But they're following him around, and they're watching Jesus do his thing. And they're going, oh, I get Jesus. He's a tough king. I get Jesus. He's a healer. Boy, he doesn't like the religious leaders. He's going to start a new religion. And the disciples are confused beyond belief. They don't know what he's going to do. I mean, he, he, they're in a boat. And remember, how do I know that they didn't know what he was going to do? Because when he calms the sea, they say, who is this man that even the sea obeys him? They have no clue. So they're following him around. And here's another weird thing that they experience. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. We can't wrap our minds around how weird that was. Okay, we have reinterpreted Jesus as kind of a milk-toast, soft-hearted dude. Only somebody who hasn't read the Scriptures thinks that of Jesus. He is one tough mamba-jamba. Mamba-jamba is a Greek word. It comes from mambo-jai, which means tough guy. Jesus, Jesus turned tables over in the temple, and it wasn't like walking in here and turning chairs over. They had a temple police. They had security. They had rulers that were heartless. Jesus turned the tables over. He rebuked religious leaders in public. He had mercy on people. He led a woman, but, but then as they start figuring out that he's a tough mamba-jamba leader, then he all of a sudden lets this woman who's a prostitute cry all over his feet and pour oil on it, and during dinner kiss his feet the whole time. They're like, well, that, that's weird too. And then another time, he's preaching to a crowd inside of a house, and they're like, Mary and the boys show up, and they're knocking, and they can't get into Jesus, so they send a disciple, and he comes through the back of the building and, and onto the stage, and they whisper, and Jesus hears, hey, your mom and your brothers are here. And Jesus, right when they expect him to say, hey, I need, I need to talk to my mama for a minute. My mom's here, so I'll be back in five minutes. He doesn't do that. He looks at the disciple and looks back at the crowd and says, who is my mother and my brothers? He's, co he's complex. He, he's, he's on his own mission. Never sell your soul to the Republican Party. Never, ever, ever sell your soul to the Democratic Party. Don't be liberal. Don't be conservative. You follow Jesus. We all want to find comfort in a home team. We need shirts to say, I'm on Team Jesus' side. That means every day's anew. I don't know if you caught it when, when Clay and Yvette, were talk, when, when Yvette was talking and Clay was amening. I don't know if you caught this, but it was good, though. I don't know if you caught this, but they said, both of them said, we did something different every day. If you've been to India with us, you realize you go there having no idea what you're going to do. If you talk to our team that goes to Brazil, I assure you they have an idea we're going into this group. But when you get onto shore off the boat, it is a new experience. You have no idea what's going to happen because Jesus doesn't fit in a box. His ministry, this is a real person God, person God. And we're his children adopted into his family, inhabited by the Holy Spirit, and we just do what we're told. Well, I never hear his voice. Well, maybe we should listen more. More on that in a moment. 
Jesus wasn't like any rabbi these 12 men had ever seen. He was strong and bold in his teachings, unwavering in calling people to repent of their sin and turn to God, seeking forgiveness and salvation. He said, I am the way. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Yet he was not afraid to confront the self-righteous religious leadership and heal and care for the needs of both the wealthy and the poor. He was not a Jewish nationalist, which they expect him to be. Yet he spent most of his time in Jewish circles talking about a kingdom. He identified himself as the very image of the invisible God, and yet he came and served people. As those of you reading through the Bible this year that I've already talked about, he's building, and, and, and they do a really good job with this. They call it the upside-down kingdom. Remember? It's, it's kind of a weird concept, but it's such a great explanation of the kingdom Jesus was building. For instance, we think that the strong are, are survive, but Jesus... Um, the upside-down kingdom is, is, is where you expect royals to, to, to be served. In Jesus' kingdoms, royals serve others. That's why we go on mission trips, because as royals, we give in this life. We are not to hoard money. I, I just, just want to take a shot. I, I want to take a veiled shot at the health and wealth doctrine teaching that's going on all over the place, just in case you're not clear. This is a total shot. They're telling you that as a child of God, you should have more. Jesus says as a child of God, you should be broke because your wealth is in heaven, not here. You should give of yourself nonstop. That's what Jesus did. It's true. Satan has invaded the doctrine of the church today and is telling you you deserve more when Jesus said you deserve to die. So follow me. Pick up your cross. Jesus' upside-down kingdom has royals serving. The meek win. The humble inherit the wealth. And those who forgive will be forgiven. Not in this life, but in the next. Everything that one might naturally think and feel was set on its head in Jesus' teaching. But everything he taught needed to be listened to because, well, what he did broke natural law and reflected the Scriptures. Again, this is why you need to know him through the Scriptures. One day... While these guys are traveling around with Jesus, following him, watching him doing miracles, listening to him preach, watching him interact with people and teach, all of a sudden Jesus seems to kind of glance off at the crowd. I don't know what the crowd was doing. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us if they were fans. It doesn't tell us if they were followers. It doesn't tell us if they were hating on him. But it says in two of the Gospels that he had compassion on them. They saw a look in his face that wasn't familiar to them very often. And he must have told them, or they must have asked, why are you feeling this, or why do you look like that? It tells us that the reason he did is because they were confused, like a sheep without a shepherd. And in feeling that, he turns to his disciples and he says this in Matthew 9, 37. The harvest is great. Ah, the harvest is great. But the workers are so few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the field. Boy, this sounds like a verse you'd put on the wall during a mission conference, doesn't it? The problem with that is the workers are few. Ask God to send. And then we have an altar call, and people who are willing to go to Brazil for the next 50 years of their life walk forward. Please understand, this was just a conversation Jesus, who's overwhelmed with compassion, is having with his boys. He just wants them, they're watching him emotionally be moved by the crowd. And he explains that he's being moved by the crowd because they're lost. They're running around in chaos, and they, they, they don't have anybody to care for them. Even the religious leaders aren't caring for them. The religious leaders are using them to feed their, their coffers and themselves, and it broke Jesus' heart. And then he turns to the disciples, and you want to know who this guy is? 
I'm not sure if he has tears in his eyes or not, but it sure sounds to me like he's weeping as he says, there are so few workers, me and John, so few. Would you guys pray? Would you pray to my father? Pray to me. Pray, pray that the harvest will have more workers, please. Just take that in. Jesus is not an angry warrior. He's a compassionate warrior, and he got angry because the sheep were being lied to and misled. Jesus is not a theology book or a doctrinal statement, as I've said. He's not a moral statement on better living. This book isn't just about how to have a good life. Jesus is and wants to God with obvious feelings of affection and care for people, even sinful people. If you are a prostitute this morning, Jesus loves you more than you know. If you are demon-possessed, if you are playing on a Ouija board, if you find yourself controlled by the evil one, Jesus is freedom. If you are a Baptist who has never experienced hope or joy in the Lord, Jesus is joy. As the disciples are following him, they look up and they see him staring. They see Jesus actually like the people that he cared for. Sometime soon after this, Mark picks up the story, and we don't know how long after. It may be the next hour, but in Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says that he called his 12 disciples together. So would you please pray for workers, guys? They're lost. And sometime soon after that, he calls the 12 disciples together, and he begins sending them out two by two. <laughs> I love this. Giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals but not take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he said, stay in the, house, the same house until you leave that town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or, or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Uh, that, was a constant, that was a common custom. If a Jew would find himself in a Gentile's house, when he left, he, as soon as he got outside of the door, he would dust his feet off because even the dust of a Gentile was too gross for a Jew. Jesus is saying, if they don't welcome you or take my message, dust your feet off. Verse 12, so the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. I got 10 minutes to end, so I'm going to move here. So listen with Yankee ears. The God who just told them to pray for workers answers their own prayer by using them. Dear Lord, we care deeply for the people at the border who are struggling. Would you please send people to minister to them? Thank you for praying. You may go. They were the answer to their own prayers, that Jesus asked them to pray. Well, why would Jesus ask them to pray for something he already knew the answer to? Why didn't he just quit to the chase and say, I want you guys to go now? Because this is a relationship, not an ordinance. It's a relationship. He wanted them to ask him to send people, and then he wanted to say, okay, you can go now. That's what this is. This is a journey. This isn't, everything we do in life seems to be point A to point B in America. We always love that, don't we? I, I want to get, uh, especially my son. My son meets, his, uh, he calls me in January, and, and we laugh about this, so I'm not telling on him. He calls me in January of, of two years ago, and he said, Dad, I need to come back to Texas and find the Texas girl. Okay. He comes home at spring break, and he meets a Texas girl. One year later in March, the same March, he comes home and meets her at, so middle of March. Next year, he, he marries her in middle of March, and now he's having a baby middle of March. Okay. So 
I asked him if he would be retired by the following March. We need to slow things down a little bit, buddy. It's a wonderful, I'm going to have little Samuel Isaiah is his name, classic, yeah, pretty cool biblical name, huh? He's got a lot to live up to. I assure you he will be every bit of both prophets. But, but the, the fact is we all do that, you know? I, I want to, okay, I want to get married and I want to buy a house and then I'm going to, once I buy, we're all running to the next thing. That's not how God wants us to live. God wants us to go, okay, God, what are we going to do today? Okay, I guess I'll go to work because you didn't tell me something else. I go to work and I'm at work and I'm doing my thing. What do you want me to do, God? And then somewhere in the middle of your day, you run into somebody. Somebody this week actually told me that and I, I'm going to keep names out. And, and by the way, when I tell you stories about people in a church, I want you to know that part of each of those stories is a lie, okay? Unless I name a name, because I don't want you to know who it is. So, so there's, there's always a lie in every story. Um, so, so, so this person called me this week. This has happened the last two weeks in preparation for a message. Somebody will call and say, I've got to tell you a story. And it fits so perfectly. But this person was telling me how they had, uh, they had gone, their kid was going to be in a sports team, and they had gone and and their kid was playing on a sports team, and the coach on the other side was somebody they really didn't like. I mean, really, really didn't like this person. I mean, just, I know none of you ever do this, but just the way that this person was dressed and the way they look offended them. Like I said, that never happens to any of you, but this person is unusually sinful. So, so, they, so, so they're talking, and they're thinking things, and they're judging, and this is this person's word, and I asked permission to tell it. And the next season ended up being the coach on their team. And this person got the opportunity to minister to that person. That's how God works. Well, I grew up in this small town, and I hate most of the people here. You, who can I, I mean, everybody in East Texas is saved. Who can I tell the gospel to? Every one of them. I want to remind you, it doesn't really matter how you feel about people. What matters is how God feels about people. You see, that's the mistake the church keeps making. The church keeps telling you, you need to pray to love the lost. Who cares if you love the lost? You can't save them. He loves the lost. You might be here this morning, and, and, and maybe not, but I'm going to pick on this because it's an easy one. But you might be here this morning looking at, at, at Yvette at, um, at the Albersons, Clay and Yvette, and you might be going, this is such a mess. Why, why go? There's so many people who have needs. Why are you going to Brazil? Or why do you go to the border? Because God told them to. It's such a political hot, hot, hot potato. We're not political. We're obedient. Seriously, do not let the government tell you what you should be. And don't let pastors tell you where you should serve unless you're a man serving in a strip club. That's not smart. But short of sinning, go where God calls you to go. And usually where he calls you to go is your own living room with your demon-possessed children (laughs) or those grandkids. I would raise my kids like that and help them raise their kids the way they should be raised, legalistically. I'm just kidding. That was free. But you know what I'm saying. Again, I'm going to use the stupid old example of when you're having lunch at Applebee's and the waitress pours tea on you. Maybe instead of telling her off, you should ask her if you can get the towel. Maybe she needs Jesus. Yeah, but I'm paying for that service. I mean, I struggle with this too. That is the tension of life, right? If I'm paying for service, shouldn't I get good service? Yeah, but you don't have to tell them off. You can actually sit down and explain the problem with their business model because you want them to succeed. Maybe instead of getting mad at whoever you're mad at, maybe we should see if, how they're doing in life. And, because at the end of the day, 
Even if your cancer doctor doesn't treat you the way you feel you need to be treated, just understand that when you die from cancer, you're going to heaven and they may not be. Nobody wants to die, by the way. Nobody. If you want to die, there's a whole different level of doctoring that I will get you in touch with. Nobody wants to die. But you do gain by dying, right? I mean, the one person at Carpenter's, the member of Carpenter's Way Church this morning who is in the best shape of all is Sandy Bates. Just to be clear, and this isn't just pastor talk, this is the real deal. Because this morning, the last thing Sandy wants is to be raised from the dead. Ask Lazarus. The dude had to die twice. And that little girl we studied last week, she had to die twice. The truth is that we die once as the children of God and we go to be with God. That's our retirement, man. That's our wealth. We, we are. When you go to heaven, you're not going to be sitting in pews forever and singing hymns. Ugh, that would be terrible, wouldn't it? That would not be heaven. If that happens, we're going to question where we are. Heaven is home. It's going to be where we kick our shoes off and we, we sit down. And our, oh, Obviously, I've been sweating this morning. But it's, 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 where our, it's where our daddy is on the throne watching us talk and reunion and hug each other. And we're talking to people who died before us and find out, I got a problem with the back of my shoe. It doesn't matter. But... We're, we're, we're going to be hugging people, and while we do it, this is heaven. This is the real thing. You're going to be hugging each other and seeing people you haven't seen in a long time and pastors that meant a lot to you and singing, thank you for giving to the Lord. I swear if that song shows up, I will smack him. But we're going to be singing that. We're going to be enjoying each other. It's going to be high-fiving. It's going to be home, and we're going to take a second and realize that the King of Kings is on the throne, and we're going to look up at the throne, and what we're going to see is our Heavenly Father smiling at us. And Revelation says that he's going to call you by a name that only you and he know. He's going to move over on the throne and invite you to sit down next to him. That's heaven. You have a home, a room that's being made just for you. You will be rewarded for what I have no idea. Well, because I witnessed last Tuesday, that's a jewel in my crown. Are you really that selfish? I don't know why God would give us crowns, because he loves his kids. The same reason you give a stupid little star to your grandkid when he shows up for a baseball game, I guess. You just love him. And we're going to take it realizing who he is and, and who we are in light of him. We're going to take it off and we're going to throw it back at his feet. Say, I'm not worthy of this. And he goes, you're worthy of it because I gave it to you and I get to choose these things. This is what heaven is. And there isn't one moment in life that will ever be even close to what that is. And our job while we're here for the next 70 years is to take as many people with us as want to go. And that includes your boss that treats you badly. It includes your spouse that may not know the Lord and treats you badly. It includes your pastor when he gets offline. The people you come in contact with in the Bible Belt who are all saved. When you ask somebody if they know the Lord, Ask them if they know the Lord. Don't ask them where they go to church because you know what? It really doesn't matter where you go to church. If you're going to hell, that's the problem. And maybe we should start asking, how do you know you're a child of God? Well, I prayed a prayer. Great. What did God do in your life? I, I'm really out of time, and I, I, we've got a new members class, and, and, I, and, and I want you to go to Bible study. But, you know, um, I, I want to I read for you Ephesians 2.10, and then, then we'll wrap up real quick. So let's jump to Ephesians 2.10 here. Listen again to this passage I read to you all the time, but listen with new ears. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus, Gentile believers, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, 
just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the inclinations of our nature. Take a pause. If you are still living by the passionate desires and inclinations of your nature, you have every right to ask whether you're saved or not, no matter how many times you walked aisles. Because Paul is describing the old life versus the new. And if you're still living the old life, then the Holy Spirit is not working where he needs to work. It's not about struggling, but just take that in. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in the future ages as examples of incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. In other words, every time Satan approaches God and goes, nobody's faithful, he goes, I know, but I'm faithful to them. Look at Mark Wilkie. Look at Mark Wilkie. I saved him. Why would you save a guy like that? Because I wanted to. That's what grace is. We're not done. Verse 8, God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation isn't a reward for good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so why did he do this? Why am I new creation in Christ after salvation? Why is he retooling me so that I can do the good things he planned for me to do a long time ago? And everybody in this room knows that verse, and we all say, if I only knew what God wanted me to do, I would do it. Well, maybe we should start by doing exactly what he told everybody else to do. Start by doing exactly what he told the guys who were freed from the chain of demon possession to do. Remember that? The guys wanted to follow Jesus, let us follow you. They begged, it says in the Greek, and he says, no, you can't. I want you to go back to the villages and towns you came from and tell them what I have done in your life. That's what God instructed them to do. And they went back, and it says they went to 10 different cities over and over to tell people, and the people were in awe of God's work in these men's lives. You remember when John the baptizer starts freaking out? He's about to die, and he blinks. So he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he's really the Messiah or he should keep looking. Remember what Jesus said? You go back to John, and you tell him what I'm teaching and what I've done. What's he telling them to do? Just tell them what they know. Just tell them what they've seen. Tell them what they've experienced. We should do exactly what he told John's disciples to do, exactly what he told the 12 to do. He's left you in a mess down here. It is a mess. Just watch CNN. Just look at your neighbors. It's a mess. Maybe we're supposed to be the order of the mess. Because our hope isn't found in Washington. It's found in Jesus. And what concerns me is even the church is getting you riled up. Half the church is telling you if you vote for Donald Trump, you can't be saved. The other half of the church is telling you if you vote for somebody, whatever, you can't be saved, and I'm here to tell you that you're saved not by how you vote, but by the King of Kings who sent his son to die for you. And if that's true, don't you let anybody tell you how to vote. Don't you let anybody tell you who you can minister and who you can't. Don't you let anybody tell you who to love. I'm not talking marriage. I'd like to go farther and say it doesn't matter who you love and who you hate. What matters is who loves them. You go tell them who loves them. It's not about you anyway. And if you're watching online or in this room, and one of the reasons you're watching online is because you can't go into church because Christians hate you, I've got good news. Christians can't save you anyway. Run to Jesus. 
And then you come to Carpenter's Way and we'll love on you. You may be a freak, but we'll still love on you. We got tattooed people on the stage. How proud are we of ourselves? I'm thinking about getting an earring just to make you crazy, except I don't like needles. I, I'm kind of a weenie. I don't, I don't like that. You know what we're talking about, right? We're talking about going where your mission field is. All right, Pastor, I'm ready to go. Where's my mission field? Well, it starts at Bible study in 10 minutes, and then it, your mission field's lunch. I mean, they, they close Chick-fil-A. We're really proud of them for doing that, but we sure as heck go to other restaurants. That's another discussion. You know my socks aren't on straight? We just, uh, this afternoon, I've got a group of uh, millennials coming into my house, and we're going to study the scriptures together, and they're going to straighten me out in some areas, and I, I'm going to tell them off an air. I'm going to serve them cheap coffee because it's coffee day. And then tomorrow at 9.30, I'm going to meet with Janet about Sandy. And so where's your mission field, Mark? Everywhere. My mission field is right here with you and it's going to be this afternoon with the cop when I get pulled over for speeding because Julie drives too fast. And I don't know. But I assure you, my friend Jonah, that you will end up exactly where he wants you to end up. So maybe we should push back on the church a little, get, a little bit and get our eyes off of ourselves and start following him. I just want to make sure, Pastor, I'm exactly where God wants me. Go for it. And when you're frustrated, you come back and we'll just give our lives to the Lord. That is what this is about, right? Every five minutes. Dear Lord, I surrender all. Amen. Let's go to lunch. Father, Father, make us like you. May we love them all. We, we don't understand you any more than the disciples who are following you, who saw you as a complex, uh, man, one minute you're rebuking, and the next minute you're loving, and the next minute you're, you're being anointed with perfume by a prostitute, and the next minute you're casting out demons, and the next minute you're rebuking the disciples, and the next minute you're not feeding crowds so they leave you, and the next minute you're just standing on a hill getting tears in your eyes over the very people that hate you. So we can't figure you out. Maybe we should just put our eyes on the back of your head and follow. We have no idea what that means, so we start now and ask you to guide. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.